Hello, and welcome back to the Timeless Lore Podcast. This is our first episode of Season 2. I'm your co-host, Adam. I'm your co-host, Oshin. And joining us today is a very special guest you've met before, Erin. Hi, guys. So, we've a lot of new things this season. We're probably going to start a side series, which is quite different from our normal episodes. We might even try um change up the guests a little bit. So, so you can expect some debates some philosophical questions where we're just casually talking so if you prefer a more chill unscripted podcast then like that's what we're going to be offering but we're not going to stray away from our usual yes so it's a new season and hopefully we'll change things up a little bit but this is your regular episode with three topics chosen by us and i would just like to say there's one more thing we had now have um, a podcast email so if you want a topic or a song, I'd recommend to go checking the bio. We have an email there, timelesslorepodcast at gmail.com. And we will be very happy to receive some emails from you, requesting both songs and topics we can do. Yeah. So before we jump into our topics, we have brand new from Gorilla's Cracker Island, which you may remember from season one. We have Silent Running feature Adelaide Omateo. Silent Running by Gorillaz featuring Adelaide Omateo and the album, full album Cracker Island should be releasing in five days so we will be looking forward to that so for our first topic of the day we have Oshin on the Oreo conspiracy theory yeah so uh, I'm going to be covering the dark secret of Oreos now 
this information is public and it's been out for a while but i personally did not know of it i had to search for it so that's why i think it'd be helpful if i inform you guys um so i'm gonna start off by just telling you guys the story so over like over a century ago in the 1890s joseph and jacob loose two brothers made a bakery in kansas city missouri in the usa now the brother jacob falls ill and he goes to europe since it had superior medical care at the time to recover from his illness now joseph then basically since he's in a higher seat of power in the bakery decides to you know change up the way it's working and he actually makes it grow to the biggest bakery in america and he ca- he calls it the national biscuit company or nabisco now uh when jacob learns of this information seeing as his hard work has now just gone credit to his brother he gets very upset and he comes back to america but he doesn't want to work with his brother anymore understandably so he makes his own company and he forms loose wiles biscuit co with a new partner which is where the wiles comes in and this becomes the second largest uh, bakery in america so i'm assuming nabisco so i'm assuming this is a revenge story yes now you'll hear a lot about brother harming brother but um so in 1908 uh the loose was company releases a cookie called the hydrox now this cookie is very similar to the oreo it is it has two black uh, sandwich wafers with a cream filling in fact it's not similar it's identical to the oreo and you know why because it came before the oreo Four years later, Nabisco releases the Oreo, which is a complete and utter ripoff of the Hydrox. And I don't exaggerate this at all. It is identical coloring, flavor, everything. They have a they have a name in the middle and floral intricate patterns around it. Oreo, Oreo is even a jab the name at Hydrox. It references the Oreo Daphne flower, which is the floral pattern on the Hydrox. Now, um. Nabisco Oreo. Now the Nabisco Oreo becomes a lot bigger than the Hydrox. Now the Hydrox is selling well, but the Oreo does sell quite a bit better purely because uh, Nabisco is much bigger than Loose Wiles, and they made a lot better marketing decisions as their ads featured children eating them. You know stuff like that. It seemed like a much more whimsical and fun cookie than the Hydrox. It's even in the name. Who wants to buy a Hydrox over an Oreo? You know. Um, and Hydrox's marketing decisions are strange. They're never telling you why you should eat their cookie or, like, why it's good. They're just saying, we're the original. That's why you should eat us. Whereas Oreo just referenced how fun their cookie was, and that's why you should eat it. And that's eventually why um, it grew bigger. So if you say it's identical, uh, I know for sure that Oreo has some sort of pattern on it. Does that? Uh... They're both flowers, but they're different like types of flowers. But oh. like, it's still Oreo uses flowers, and the Hydrox originally used flowers. They're and just I, different ones. And I assume on a biscuit, it's not very easy to yeah. tell what flowers they are. Um, so, Hydrox. Now, starting from the name in the marketing, Hydrox is actually a reference to the purity of water, hydro, and the reason that they wanted a pure name is because at this time, chalk, sawdust like literal hydrogen peroxide was being put in cookies 
Like, so being pure was a really big thing and a really good thing. It's a really good attribute to have. So Hydrox eventually actually does start to sell better. Um, but unfortunately, uh, they couldn't win in the long run because advertisement in the end was just too important and they couldn't get away with just sounding healthy. Hydrox, the only thing they had over Oreo at this point was that their recipe was completely kosher. And this actually was a big deal. They were sanctioned by the Orthodox Union of America and one of the first food companies to ever be. So this was a big edge on Oreo because America had a much bigger Jewish population then, like due to the Holocaust, than it does now. So a lot of Jews were living in America and a lot of them were eating uh, hydroxes. Now, Oreos weren't kosher because of lard, which is in their cream filling. Public event, the public eventually got concerned about the saturated fats in lard and how unhealthy it was. This came with a health craze with like the steaks and the chicken nuggets. If you don't know it, I might cover it in a later episode with the cholesterol scandal in the 1900s. But yeah, um, now uh, Oreo gets Oreo basically switches out their lard for vegetable oil, and this is where it gets weird. Now Oreo is really concerned about Hydrox beating them out and being kosher. And to get sanctioned as kosher, you have to get all your equipment cleansed, you have to get your ingredients changed. It costs a lot of money, and Oreo could have kept on their track, but they decide to go kosher, which costs tens, even hundreds of millions of dollars. If I'm not mistaken, the Jewish population, though in America at that time, was large. I don't think that would cause that big of a difference. So... Why well, they, are both they, they companies going had, after the Jewish population with kosher? Well, no, it's just Hydrox was um had a lot of Jewish people working on it originally, but the public was getting concerned about the saturated fats of lard due to the cholesterol scandal. So it was okay. a win-win nearly for yeah. Oreo. Oreo, but after four years, Oreo and tens of million dollars in a Jewish toilet, um, Oreo gets sanctioned as kosher. Now... So this is millions of dollars. Yeah, millions of dollars. Just a change. Now Kellogg's, basically Oreo completely beats them out. Like they, they Oreo has nothing on. Hydrox has nothing on Oreo now. So Kellogg's, who owned Oreo, completely stopped. uh, Who owned Hydrox? Sorry, completely stopped making them. But in the two thousands, fifty years later, I assume. Um, because like this went all throughout the nineteen hundreds and stretched over to the fifties. Um, Hydrox resurfaces with a company called Leaf Brands. Now, Hydro and guess what they try to do? They try and sue Mondelez International, which is uh, the father and company of Oreos aside from Nabisco. Now, the thing about um Hydrox, the thing about Mondelez is that. Oh, sorry, the thing about Hydroxes after under their new name now is that Leaf Brand has spotted them being hidden behind Oreos in the grocery stores, like in Walmart, all of them, like just being placed behind them deliberately. So people question this and then realize Mondelez is in charge of stacking um, cookies on shelves in grocery stores, which they is I know sounds like like a defendant like it it just sounds completely wrong but like they can do it 
it's it's this is probably the most scandalous part but they're they've pulled it off and they've done it yeah so it's like aggressive marketing yeah and um now mondelez is uh oh sorry but now this you may think hydrox has no chance like but there is a health craze going on with vegan culture being brought back back um and a lot of stuff like that so you know and just healthier food in america resurfacing a bit more now you know hydrox may have a chance to resurface as they're still sticking to that original recipe which uses no uh, ingredients with unnatural gmos so you know some people may think hydroxes will come back i personally don't but i just thought this was an interesting story and i wanted to inform everyone about it mm-hmm. I think now Oreo has kind of, uh, it's made itself feel more different from Hydrox Original because Oreo has obviously gone on to make many, like, I guess, other types of Oreo. There's double chocolate Oreos, yeah. there's like... I just want to say that um, Oreo used the kosher excuse to make ice cream, but we're pretty sure that it was to beat Hydrox. Yeah. But they said that they were doing it to make ice cream. So that's, that's a very interesting topic, really, and... It's as if the Hydrox was really muscled out just half by bad decisions, half by the aggressive marketing and better, generally better marketing of Oreo. So I think you can see with a lot of modern companies would probably be doing the same thing. It's very hard for a homegrown brand to make its way into this world where it can't compete. I just wanted to bring this story up because I do feel sorry for Leaf Brand and the Hydrox. I think it's a really sad story of betrayal, but... I just wanted to let everyone that uh, I know, because I know I was ignorant on this, so I just wanted to let as many people as I could know. I think it's definitely a very interesting topic and kind of a a, a first, almost, for the Time of Store channel. Yep. And now we have In the End before our next topic by Linkin Park. <laughs>
and that was In the End by Linkin Park. Now, discussing our second topic of the day, we have my co-host, Adam. Yes, so I would like to discuss the current state of the MCU, also known as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, to start today's topic off, um, the most recent installment in Marvel's Phase 5, I believe? Yeah. Phase 5, the first movie in Marvel's Phase 5. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and... Oh boy, it was a wild ride. <laughs> I saw this in theaters. The day came out in a different country very late. I definitely, I had watched it in mind to talk about it at this podcast, and it was definitely something. Um, so Ant Man was never really my favorite superhero, but I was still interested to see. And the movie was a mess to start off. It was very formulaic, like extremely formulaic in the Marvel sense that I could compare it so easily to Wakanda Forever, Black Panther, its entire story. And the fact is, it was trying to balance between your classic Paul Rudd comedy and your kind of action endgame big space battle. And it was it was a mess because the action sequences and the visuals were always tainted with this kind of really kind of comedy sense of a very classic sense of comedy which was just out of place just the jokes and the action or the comedy wasn't very good because they were always doing this big action sequence and there was always such high stakes so maybe i should just explain the movie pretty much so ant-man and the ant-man squad and i mean that in that sense it's the wasp uh hank pym the inventor of the ant-man technology Ant-Man's daughter, who's now grown up, and of course, um, I forget her name, because she's a very forgettable character, but then, of course, there's Hank Pym's wife, the original Wasp, and the Ant-Man squad basically have a family dinner, and suddenly the daughter says, I have made this machine that lets me see the quantum realm, and of course, Ant-Man is like, oh, that's too dangerous, but then she says, no, it works, look at the machine, and suddenly the machine explodes, and they all get sucked into the quantum realm, and the story has been so well set up through this very good setup of the machine just going wrong, and they all end up in the quantum realm, which is just a mix between Star Wars, uh, Pandora, and any alien planet you can see, so the most generic alien planet ever. I just want to say, like... I know in previous Ant-Man movies, the Quantum Realm was made out to be this very, very dangerous, very, very sophisticated place. He had to go there and he was trapped and it was pure suffering. And it's such, I think it's just such a lazy writing decision that like, oh, a machine goes wrong, they all get sucked in. And I don't think it's ever explicitly explained why. No, no. (laughs) I think it's obviously, it's just a way to get them in because yeah. really how else would they get them in and have them in the situation where they're trying to get out is yeah. this like just at the very like uh, there isn't much build up to it in the like... first 15 minutes suddenly the whole conflict is set up so the two groups are set up and the second act of this movie so after the, the scoped first act is this very disjointed episodic kind of journey through this land where one group which is led by the mother who's obviously Never, not told anyone about the quantum realm because she had PTSD. Says, well, there was a secret. There was a secret big civilization which was being ruled over by Kang the Conqueror, who I accidentally helped to build a spaceship. Yes, that's right. So basically, the quantum realm, which we just perceived to be just a really, just a really dangerous place, that was 
just a subatomic realm. Yeah, it's just a normal alien civilization with, uh, insert Marvel villain, Kang the Conqueror, who rules over it. And this, uh, aunt, uh, whatever her name is, the mother, has dealings here, and she knows everyone here. And she didn't say any, she didn't say this to anybody, of course, because let's just have her characters oblivious, which makes no sense. And basically, everyone kind of hates her in this realm because she helped Kang the Conqueror make it make his spaceship which allowed him to gain his powers to control this realm so what i've just said is very disjointed and very random but this is exactly the plot of the movie so then ant-man finds kang and kang says the only way to get out of here is if you get me this thing and he tortures ant-man's daughter for ant-man to do it the it's just a mess the movie yeah i mean Ant-Man has never been a, par- a particularly, impo- uh, how do I phrase it, but it's, it's. I think he's always been kind of a bit of a comic relief hero, yeah. especially in the wider MCU, like in the Avengers movies. So it's very difficult for just like this comic relief side character who just has random powers yeah. to make a movie focused on him. And they put it off very numerous times, but... I really like the idea of the quantum realm, but it's, it's. I like the idea of it just being like a, such a random, yeah. like, uncomprehendable universe that like no, like there's n- basically no life there, yeah. and now they just like now it's acting as if, like, it, yeah. So it's, there's a civilization that gets sucked in by accident. It's just yeah. So basically, the rest of the movie is. Ant-Man like, fighting Kang the Conqueror and the rebels which live in this world just to destroy uh, this civilization, to destroy Kang's rule. And it's just a Star Wars-esque battle and very episodic. I found that um, in more recent Marvel movies, because obviously we are talking about just the wider MCU, um, I found that more recently there's been a lot of just characters that are, I guess, widely liked. Like Ant-Man, I would say, in general... Is a like like people like him. He's yeah. a, he's a cool character, you know. He's got a bit of comic relief, you know. He's funny, so people people enjoy that. And I think uh, Marvel are just trying to capitalize on that by creating this movie, which really doesn't center around him. No, he it is a plot between Kang, who is the emperor, and these rebels, and they've just plopped Ant Man in there so that they can brand it as an Ant Man movie, so people will watch it. Yeah. I think that. That's been done recently, and I just think that if you're gonna have a movie about someone like named after someone, it should the plot should revolve around yeah. them. They should not be add-ons. Yeah, so they, that's basically the plot. In the end, the rebels win, and this variant of Kang dies, or so we think. But the characters are the weakest point of this movie. Ant-Man again. There's no reason for it to be Ant-Man. Uh, Hank Pym gets three lines the mother gets even less and she's just there i don't know what she's there she's just there literally the wasp does nothing uh scott lang's daughter at man uh she insert any loved one she does nothing the characters are just forgettable the rebels have five minutes of screen time altogether and even kang is the only enjoyable character but even even then he was just evil <laughs> emperor and the worst character is this surprise appearance by Modok. 
who's termed, uh, you may not be familiar with Modok, but he's supposed to be one of the greatest Marvel villains of all time. He's just turned into a floating head that everyone beats up and makes fun of, and a comic relief, and he dies. And that's, that's it. The characters are really weak, plot is weak, <laughs> everything is weak, and if we compare it to Wakanda Forever, um, a new civilization is introduced, the civilization has some a vendetta against the world that like Kang wanted to destroy the world once he got up. The the water civilization that Tulakan in Wakanda Forever want to destroy Earth. And then the big hero fights them in a big uh, CGI battle, which happened in Wakanda Forever and in and in Ant Man, but at least with Wakanda Forever, which I think was a solid movie the the reason there was actual there's an actual reason for the Tulkan and the the Wakandans to fight because they were the two most advanced civilizations ever on Earth and they had personal connections but the Ant Man thing is just very disjointed and it's it's the exact same plot it's the exact same short comedic first act first act then setting up the villain and all these random characters in the second act and then big CGI battle for half an hour in the third act and that which I like CGI battles but that was the only like half enjoyable thing in Ant-Man and it's just getting to the point where it's over and over and over the same thing getting worse our characters are getting ruined and yeah no that's that's all I have to say Marvel's really fallen I think that um you mentioned how Kang is just kind of a one-dimensional villain who's evil for the sake of being evil. He's just evil, wahaha, I don't like you and I'm going to take over the world because... But I think something that should be done nowadays is there should be a lot more dimension to a villain. Like, they should at least have reasons to do what they're doing. Yeah. Like, um, I think there's just... At this point, and how far we've come in movies, we... There should at least be more dimensions to villains. So I think it's just a slippery slope for Marvel mm-hmm. because there hasn't been any that much. Yeah, there hasn't been much enjoyment. Uh, I mean, I, it's basically gone to the point where Marvel had a great past. It has a lot of beloved characters. They're just making lazy mu- movies that have the characters' names in the title. So, like previous enjoyers will buy it, hoping it's good. And in reality, it's just a terrible movie that they've thrown together in two seconds. That's like an hour and a half long. You know, it's 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 sad to see a company that is so beloved just yeah be destroyed yeah. in the past few years. So I mean, I've, ever since Stan Lee died. Yeah, no, it, um, I think there is still hope for Marvel, but a lot of uh, I think there's the end game block which. They want to get bigger and better every movie. They always want to be life-threatening, but it's not working. And I think a lot of fans left it at Endgame, and I think maybe I should do. So <laughs> that's that's it. So I wouldn't recommend watching the movie. In fact, I wouldn't recommend watching most of the Marvel installments. Wakanda Forever, definitely a good ode to Chadwick Boseman and its own independent that movie. A, that was a terrible movie. It was the exact same as Ant-Man, but... It was it. It was better than that. All so. I can say for it is at least the characters made sense to be there. Yeah. So next up we have our requested song. So earlier we had the gorilla song "Silent Running," which was our new song. We had "In the End" by Linkin Park, which is our old song, and this is our requested song, which I'm pretty sure was requested by my friend Noel. 
Here we have Hate It or Love It by 50 Cent the ga- from his album The Game. Yeah, let's take him back. Uh-huh. Coming up, I was confused. My mama kissing a girl. Confusion the curse coming up in the cold world. Daddy ain't around, probably out committing felonies. My favorite rapper used to sing, check, check out my melody. I wanna live good. So shit, I sell dope for a full finger ring. One of them go ropes. Nana told me if I pass, I get a sheepskin coat. If I can move a few packs, I get the hat. Now that'd be dope. Tossed and turned in my sleep that night. Woke up the next morning, niggas have stole my bike. Different day, same shit, ain't nothing good. In the hood, I run away from this bitch and never come back if I could. Hated to love it, though. Underdogs on top, and I'm gonna shine on me until my heart stops. Go ahead and beat me. I'm Raps MVP, and I ain't going nowhere so you can get to know me. Hated to love it, the underdogs on top, and I'm gonna shine on me until my heart stops. Go ahead and beat me. I'm Raps MVP, and I ain't going nowhere so you can get to know me. On the grill of my low rider, guns on both sides, right above the gold wires. I four five them, killing nigga on my soul, but really do it. That's the true meaning of a ghost rider. 10G to take your daughter out of Air Forces. Believe you me, homie, I know all about losses. I'm from Compton, where the wrong colors be cautious. One phone call, I had your body dumped in Marcy. I stay strapped like car seats. Been banging since my little nigga Rob got killed for his Barclays. That's 10 years, I told Pooh in 95. I'll kill you if you try me for my Air Max 95s. Told Banks when I met him, I'm a ride. And if I gotta die, I'd rather homicide. I ain't had 50 cent when my grandmama died. Now I'm going back to Cali with my Jacob on. See how time fly. The underdogs on top. And I'm gon' shine on me until my heart stops. Go ahead and beat me. I'm Raps MVP, and I ain't going nowhere. So you can get to know me. And that was Hey Did You Love It um, by, by 50 Cent. So, uh, for our final topic of the day, discussing possibly the best animated movie of the decade, we have our, our very special guest, Aaron. Yeah, so... Going from a movie that really was expected to be good, but let down, we're going to a movie that was expected to be, like, pretty bad, which turned out to be one of the best films of, like, the decade. Um, of course, I'm talking about Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Um, now, in the last topic, we talked about how just characters feel like they have no depth, uh, especially villains. But something that I think Puss in Boots does so well is the portrayal of their villain, uh, whose name is Death. Now, Death is... Very uh, scary. Very (laughs) scary, of course. But it's not in an animated movie. Uh, You'd expect Death to just be, like, a very cartoonish, goofy, like, kind of stupid villain. Uh, He just is evil for the sake of being bad. Exactly, like, comic relief... But Death, honestly, the scenes he's in, it instills fear. There's a signature whistle he does, which any time it appears on screen, like, like the hairs stand up on the back of your neck, which is shown in the film by Puss in Boots' hair is standing up. <laughs> um, and I think that the good thing about Death is he has motives because they, in the movie they play a lot of the fact of, and like the superstition that cats have nine lives, and at the start of the movie, there's a very, uh, like, com- there's a montage, like, a comical montage of Puss in Boots losing eight of his lives. And um, the premise of the movie is Puss trying to 
uh, get to the last wish so we can wish back all of his not in lives. Now, one thing I'll say, we can't spoil the end of the movie because unlike Ant-Man, this is a movie we would recommend watching. It is very worth it. So we will not spoil it for you, but we will praise it. Yeah. So the thing about death is Puss in Boots, uh, he, the reason he's hunts down Puss in Boots is because uh, Puss, in, Puss has just, he has disregarded all of his lives. He's like, he dies and he's like, oh, I have seven more lives, you know? But the thing about uh, death is he realizes that Puss is not appreciating his lives. And now that he's on his last, he thinks he doesn't deserve it. So this gives him motive as death to hunt down Puss and take him out, right? Yeah. But, uh, and that gives him a ton of motive, unlike Kang. So this is one of the reasons that makes him a good villain, and other is just the scenes he's in. Yeah. The first scene where he appears is, I think, one of the best written scenes uh, in any film. (laughs) There is, I don't care if it's animated or if it's live action. Or if it's Puss in Boots. Or if it's Puss in Boots. Like... If we are, we have to remember here. This is a Puss in Boots sequel. Yeah, the first film was not. It was not it. And the second film was not it either. <laughs> oh, we got a controversial theorist back here, huh? But anyway, um, there is the the camera work of this, despite being an animated film, is incredible. There is scenes where, like, eyes flash in blades, and they're reflected at the end of the film, and it's just, it's, it's. The animation also is just incredible. So, um... Do we, wait, do we see... Do we see anything... Well, sorry, do we learn anything of Death's... Do we learn anything of Death's backstory? No. No. And it shocks me that he's as good a villain as he is. But we really don't learn much. All we know is he is the embodiment of Death. He says it himself. Uh, I quote from the movie, uh, I am Death. No ifs, no buts. Uh, I, this no is not a metaphor. This is not like this is nothing. I am just death, yeah. straight up. And I guess we just have to accept that. But it's done so well. Um, I think Harper going on to the animation. It takes a lot of inspiration from uh, Spider Man to the Spider Verse, which is a revolutionary film, as well as um, the Mitchells versus the Machines, which is also a great film. And it takes a lot of the um, it takes a lot of the, um, like, animation styles from these movies with, like, a very slowed frame rate, uh, action, sequence- action sequences, uh, and yet it still feels so fluid and yeah. just very colorful. Yeah, so I heard that there was a bit of controversy in America over death because he's dead. You don't want your children knowing about death. Just say that the death fairy came and took away your pet, ba- you know. <laughs> your uh, grandparents. So, but even... Going off the villain of death, of course there are, from what I've, I haven't seen the movie, but I've heard that there are secondary villains to this that are also yeah. very strong. In fact, in some ways, I would count death as a secondary villain. As the final fight, though I won't spoil it, he is not the final boss. Um, there is another character who is very villainized, but while death is a more serious villain, the second character, uh, Jack Horner... He is from the nurse from a like nursery rhyme about him sticking his thumb into pies. He is, he is just total comic relief. Uh, he is a villainous character. He is uh, one of the villains, and like he, though he's used for comic relief, it's just 
it's played off in the movie about how just cruel and like unnecessary violent he is. Um, but I think that uh, it's done in a way that you don't really need to know a ton about him, and yet he's still and honestly he's not a super serious character. He's funny, but uh, it you still manage to like understand where he's coming from and like it it all makes sense you know he's a very powerful villain as well um one other thing i'd like to touch on about this film is how it covers real world topics it's not just uh an animated kids film about fairy tale characters it is it covers topics like anxiety panic attacks um all these things are shown in in a very real light and I guess it brings light to things that not many people will have experienced. Yeah, um, and of course there are other characters coming as well. Like, uh, I know there was a returning character from the first film. Uh, yes, um, Kitty Softpaws, who personally I was not a huge fan of in the first film, but she's fleshed out a lot, a lot in this film as she has trust issues with Puss because it is implied that he left her at the altar. They were planning to get married and just live there happily ever after, as it is in fairy tales. Um, another thing that I would praise the movie for is that it brings more light to a universe that's been dead for a while, which is the Shrek universe. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm glad to see that something good has come from DreamWorks, from its original Shrek fairy tale saga. You know, it could be a renaissance. Yeah, I think since Shrek, in my opinion, since Shrek two or Shrek 3, there just hasn't been a good a good, Dreamworks, a good gr- film. DreamWorks film in, in general. Yeah, and definitely, the fact, like, Disney has launched like, a lot of duds. Like, the most successful film I remember is Encanto, but even that was two years ago now. And it could, DreamWorks could definitely, if they continue with this animation style and they continue making original ideas, this could definitely be a renaissance. But one thing maybe we'll touch on is, was there anything <laughs> negative or anything you didn't like? Just to see. Um, if I have to think about it, there was, um, there's a side plot involving Goldilocks and Three Bears, who are hilariously a crime family in this, they're a crime syndicate, and, um, I think that their story is touching, but I don't personally think it's resolved the best, because, um... I just think that there was better ways I could have gone about it. It's very rushed, almost, in the end, about how they resolve their whole story plot and why they want the wish. Because this entire film is about why all these parties, except for death, why all these different parties, Jack Horner, uh, Puss in Boots, the Goldilocks crime family, why they want the wish. So, just to finish off, uh, before we have to finish up, what would you give the movie out of ten? Um, I... I would watch this movie again for sure. I think it is a near perfect movie for what it is being a Puss in Boots sequel. Personally, enjoyment rating, I think this was an e- I think this was a 10 out of 10. I would hu- so highly recommend this movie. It's still in cinemas now if I I I'd think that it is so it's a must watch. You should see it no matter what age you are. Mm. So I think that's all we have time for today. This was our first episode of season two. And don't worry, because there's many more to come, even more than season one. Yeah, um, and remember, we have an email now, and we still have our comment section, and we would, like, we know that 
we've nearly hit 300 listeners. We've got nearly 20 followers, and we, we, we're, we're definitely making waves in that regard, and we thank you for the support. But We, we might do something special for 300. So. Or, yeah, yeah, um, or 500. But we definitely want to hear more of your opinions. Like I know there's definitely a lot of you that yeah. are listening casually. I know there's some of you from Bulgaria, some of you from America, and we definitely want to hear you, because we're, we're only starting off as a very homegrown podcast we don't actually have a studio and our guests are just our friends but i think with support we could go a lot further than we are now and i really enjoy that what we're doing now and i hope you are have some enjoyment there back home and we would love to hear your emails your opinions your topics and we will be doing one special episode near the finale where we will be reusing three of your favorite topics from season one or maybe some of the topics you've proposed where we will revisit your favorite topics but you need to tell us so whichever topics get the most uh get the most votes i suppose we will have them in that special episode so this is the thomas lore podcast so remember the clock is burning because it's time for thomas lore and we'll see you in the next one